Hello, and welcome to the Yours Julie podcast. This is episode 179, so it might be a welcome back for some of you. It could be a welcome for the first time. If that's the case, then hello. My name is Claire Tuning. I am the host of this podcast. I'm also an anti-diet dietitian that loves puns, peanut butter and jelly. I like sparkly things. I just like when things look cute. I don't know, is that a personality trait? Um, I'm also a big Swifty, as you'll hear me talk about a little bit later in this intro, because I did have the very exciting time of attending the Eras tour, but I am just excited that you are here today. I know there are a lot of podcasts out there that probably do more fun and exciting things than we do here on the show. It's just me, the one woman show. We have episodes. I don't know why I say we. I literally just told you it's me by myself. I have episodes once a month here on the podcast about a variety of different topics. It could be non-diet nutrition. I've had some body image uh, topics, some topics on meal planning recently. Today's episode specifically is a little bit different. It's unique in the sense that I have never had anyone on the show to talk about tea and the history of it and the variety of ways to enjoy tea. That's what we are getting into today with our very special guest, Jenitza. I'm really excited that Jenny was here. Let me see, when did I talk to Jenny? I think I talked to Jenny about a month and a half ago from when I am recording the intro. So it has been a minute, but it was really thrilling to have a conversation that was just different than usual. It wasn't solely focused on nutrition or anti-diet anything, but I learned a lot and hopefully you will as well. Before I officially introduce Jenny and give you some insight into what we're talking about, we gotta sit down and have a little a little chat, an update, because a lot has happened since I last sat down in front of the microphone, since you and I last connected here on the podcast. First thing, I hinted at this earlier, but I did indeed have the privilege of attending the Eras Tour in Tampa. Um, if you followed the podcast for a while, you probably remember me mentioning when tickets first went on sale that I was not one of the lucky people that ended up with a pre-sale code or a verified fan link. I didn't have any of that going for me. I don't have a Capital One card, so my chances of getting a ticket were very, very low. And I had pretty much resigned to the fact that I just wasn't going to be able to go. And I was making peace, <laughs> making peace with it, although begrudgingly. But about two weeks before the show in Tampa that a couple of my friends and I went to, my friend messaged saying that she had found three tickets. A friend of a friend was selling them for like regular market value. So we really lucked out. We were sitting in the lower bowl in the 100 section. So it was a great view. I was at the first outdoor show that they had done on the tour night one in Tampa. So Taylor's curls were curling. Even she is not exempt from the humidity that we were all feeling, but it was really incredible. As someone who's been a really big fan for pretty much my whole life, I feel like this you know, parasocial relationship that probably a lot of us fans feel with her, that we have grown up with her and I have followed a lot of her life and a lot of her music and her music just means a lot to me because it marks 
every stage of growing up. Like I remember listening to Fearless on my very first iPod. I remember creating this whole mixtape of a bunch of Speak Now songs when I got my first car. I remember, you know, listening to the Red album through breakups and Evermore in Folklore throughout quarantine. So it has really marked a lot of phases of life listening to her music. So it felt really cool, like this full circle moment to go and just scream at the top of my lungs. I won't even say that I was singing the songs. I was just like screaming them. I think my voice is still hurting a little bit. I don't know how she does it for three hours and 15 minutes night after night and is going to do that for eight months. But I guess I am not a performer, so I cannot understand. But if you are a fan and you happen to have a ticket or you're able to get one in a way that aligns with your budget and your schedule, I would highly recommend it. It was hands down the best show, the best concert that I have ever been to and maybe will ever go to unless she tours again. Final thing that I will say, because I know this is not a Taylor Swift podcast, but I figure I can just chit chat and you can fast forward if you want. But the surprise songs that she sang at my show, if you're unfamiliar, on every show in the Eras Tour, Taylor is selecting two surprise songs to play in the acoustic set. And she's not going to do any repeats of this song or of these songs rather, unless A, she messes them up or B, they're from Midnight's. She has said she will repeat songs if uh, they fall under either of those two categories. But for my show, she played Speak Now, um, the song Speak Now, the title track of that album, and she played Treacherous from Red. I enjoy both of these songs. I'm a little bit more of a treacherous stan than a Speak Now stan. Um, I was happy to get anything, was really just happy to be there, but if I'm being completely honest, I was crossing my fingers for a surprise song from either Reputation or Midnight's. Those would have been My Dreams or Daylight from Lover. That would have been great. But um, Speak Now and Treacherous were super fun. The little light up bracelets were lighting up purple and red all throughout the stadium. So I think that's such a fun aspect of this tour is that everyone has a little bit of a different and a unique experience, even if we are all seeing the same show, more or less. So TLDR. Taylor is a great performer. Go if you want and don't go if you don't want to <laughs> or, or if you can't. But the second thing that I have done since, um, since we've spoke last that I wanted to talk briefly about on the pod is I just got back from Austin, Texas for the Wind Spring Symposium. And you might be like, wind, meteorology, are you dabbling in some uh, weather forecasting? No, WIND is an acronym and it stands for Weight Inclusive Nutrition and Dietetics. Um, this was my second time in person at a WIND event. I went back in DC several years ago, pre-pandemic. I've had the, the privilege of attending some virtual sessions with WIND, but I really appreciate these events because I'm able to hear from a lot of really incredible speakers and um, people who advocate for change in this space of nutrition and dietetics and the sessions that were presented, they were informative, they were challenging in some ways, and they reminded me too of the importance of continuing to acknowledge and unpack on my own time the many privileges that I hold as a thin, white, cishet woman in this space. 
piece. I know I hold a lot of privilege when I speak about these topics of departing from diet culture or working towards body acceptance because I have not had the experience of living in a body that is deemed um, not socially acceptable. So um, I learned some things that I will be bringing into my sessions with clients and into my content. Um, One of my favorite sessions was a research review, just kind of recapping the status of weight-centric or non-weight-centric health research. Um, And I was also encouraged to find ways in some of these presentations to center more marginalized voices in this work to dismantle diet culture and acknowledge its roots. Final thing, just recapping my time, I was reminded of the importance of nuance too when we're talking about anything related to health or nutrition. You know, we had a really interesting conversation about some of the weight loss medications that have been talked about a lot recently and the importance of approaching those conversations with nuance and how someone's decision to engage or not engage with that medication will be highly individualized to them and their medical support team. It's not just as easy as saying all of those medications are evil and no one should ever take them. We have to dissect these topics with a little bit more care and and thoughtfulness. Um, Because really, you know, health and nutrition and eating in general are really complicated topics. And there is so much more to this work as a whole than saying, you know, one of those cliches, just eat the cookie or just stop dieting like those are sound bites that get a lot of attention because they're catchy but this work goes a lot deeper than that and it's not as easy as just you know departing from this entire system or choosing to eat the cookie without any consequence for many individuals especially those who hold marginalized identities especially several identities this work is a lot more entangled and complicated than that Um, I am experiencing, I will say, some post-conference exhaustion right now. I had a full week of client calls leading up to leaving for the conference, a very late flight, and then two full conference days, travel delays on the way back, and now I'm in the middle of a launch week, which I'll talk about here in a minute. So I think after this week concludes, I will just be taking a day, (laughs) taking a day to rest and sleep and drink all the water and and do all the things. But I am really grateful for all of these travel experiences and the opportunities to see people and and meet people and, and learn from a variety of different professionals. So with that said, I did mention a minute ago that I am in the process of a launch week because this episode is airing, it's coming out in the middle of the week that doors are reopening for my monthly membership group called the Yours Truly Collective. Now, the collective is your monthly membership ticket to live, no-judgment nutrition classes. We have cooking skills workshops once a quarter and regular non-diet community support in our member-exclusive Facebook community. I created this group because I know that working one-on-one with a dietitian can be really cost prohibitive. It's something that not everyone has access to or even the interest in doing. So I wanted to build a community as a way for people to get ongoing support and education from an RD for less than $100 a month. And I know too that learning and healing alongside other people who have faced similar challenges in their relationships with food and body can also be really 
really powerful. So I wanted to host this space where a lot of like-minded individuals can come together and learn from each other and the live sessions that I host and we'll have some guest coaches hosting as well. Included in this membership is monthly live classes hosted by myself and some special guests, like I said. We also have monthly Q&A sessions in our member-exclusive Facebook community, plus really daily support there from myself and other members for people to post and converse about what they're learning or how they're implementing what we talk about in those live classes. And we also have quarterly live cooking skills classes. Um, This past quarter, we talked about easy ways to make vegetables actually taste good. I loved hosting that class because we talked about some really practical kitchen skills, knife skills for cutting veggies, how to be safe and efficient, how to set up your kitchen so you can actually enjoy being in there. We talked about flavoring veggies and creative ways to use them so you're not feeling like you're stuck in this boring rut of eating the same ones all the time, how to flavor them, different cooking methods. There was so much in that class and the reason why I'm harping on this, I'm harping on our cooking skills workshops is because I really have yet to find anything in the non-diet space where someone is talking about nutrition from a non-diet perspective but also following that up with real life everyday cooking skills to help you be more confident in the kitchen. So I think that's a, a cool aspect to the membership and every one of those cooking skills workshops comes with an original recipe ebook to go with the class for members to take and use and you know build their new skills with, with some fun recipes. So this membership cycle kicks off May 1st. So if you're listening to this episode when it airs, we are kicking off this upcoming Monday, May 1st. And our content calendar for the next three months leading into the summer is really stacked, if I do say so myself. We have a class in May all about emotional eating. I'm calling it the emotional eating road trip. So we'll cover how to slow down the emotional eating spiral and explore coping routes beyond just food. In June, we are hearing from our very first guest coach in the series. Her name is Brianna Campos. You may know her as Body Image with Brie, but Brie is going to be presenting to the group on body acceptance and how to improve body image by embracing body grief. I am really excited for that presentation. I know a lot of my current members are anxiously awaiting until June to hear from Brie. That'll be our first session on body image. Then at the start of July, we will have our quarterly cooking skills workshop. I've titled this one, Become a Convenience Genius, Master Nutritious Grab-and-Go Meals in 30 Minutes or Less. So that class is gonna be all about efficiency in the kitchen and building nutritious and satisfying meals that can fit within the short time frame that you might have on a weeknight. Again, ebook will be included with recipes and fun ideas. And then finally in July, fearlessly fueled we're going to be talking about a stressless guide to planning nutrient dense and satisfying meals without a side of diet rules so if you want more of a plan for your weeks to take stress away from eating but you don't want to introduce diet rules into that equation that july masterclass will be a really good one for you 
there is a three-month minimum commitment to join us inside the collective and you have the option to either invest monthly for $97 a month or you can save about $34 by investing for three months in full for $257 for all of those three months. After your first three months is up in the collective, you will get an email from me asking if you want to stick around and recommit for another three month stint, or if you want to leave us and move forward from there, that is fully in your right to decide at that time. So if you're listening to this episode when it airs, like I mentioned earlier, enrollment for the collective is currently open for this May through July session, and it will remain open until this Sunday, April 30th at 11.59 p.m. Eastern. After April 30th, enrollment for the collective is not going to reopen again until late July for our August 1st start date. I guess that will be August August through October will be our next membership cycle. And classes do reset every single month. So if you're interested in emotional eating and body image, um, convenience meals and meal planning, this is the segment to join us for because after this three-month cycle, these classes are not coming back. We're going to have a whole different lineup as we get into the fall. The link to learn more about the collective and join us inside if you would like to is below in the show notes and I'm also going to be talking about this all during this week on my Instagram stories so stay tuned if you happen to follow along there. Now let's actually get into today's episode. I know this intro was a little bit longer but I had a lot to catch all up on so thanks for sticking with me. But in today's episode, I am talking to Jenitsa. And Jenny, let's see. Oh my gosh, I have navigated away from Jenny's bio. How could I do this? All right, I'm going to read Jenny's bio so you know more about her background and where she comes from, and then I'll turn it over to her. So born in Hong Kong and raised in Fairbanks, Alaska, Jenny is the founder and owner of Sipping Streams Tea Company. She's the best-selling author of The Essence Tea and the host of The Essence Tea Podcast. Sipping Streams is the only geothermal-powered tea farm in the world, and it began as a vision in 2004 when Jenny noticed that the way tea was able to bring different people together. Bootstrapping from absolutely nothing 16 years ago and building a business without so much as a mentor, Jenny's passion for community, sustainability, and quality have allowed the Sipping Streams Tea Company to weather two recessions and a pandemic. Sipping Streams custom tea infusions have won first, second, and third in the North American Tea Championships and second at the Global Tea Championships, along with earning Jenny a first place prize for the top tea infusionist at the 2011 World Tea Expo. Sipping Streams has also been featured in Fresh Cup Magazine, Edible Alaska, and NPR. So if you could not tell from that bio... Jenny has a lot going on. Jenny knows about tea. She is so knowledgeable, as you will hear in this conversation, and her company, Sipping Streams, makes a lot of really great products. So after this interview or after I I talked with Jenny, I actually went over to her company's website and I ordered some stuff for myself and my household because I wanted to try out the tea, and I can confirm that it is very tasty. 10 out of 10 would recommend. If you're curious as to what I purchased, 
purchased, I went for the Midnight Sun Herbal Tea, and I also ordered a gift from one of her boba tea sets for a friend who has a birthday coming up. So all of Jenny's info and her website links are going to be listed below in the show notes if you want to check out her or her podcast or you want to shop around on her website for some really delightful and lovely tea. But in this episode, Jenny and I talk you guessed it, a lot about tea. We talk about where it comes from, some of its health benefits, and the variety of ways that you can enjoy tea if it's something that you want to get into or, or further explore if it's something that you already like. And I have to be honest, like I said earlier in the intro, it was really refreshing to talk about something new and a little bit different here on the show. As you'll hear in the interview, I do ask a couple of questions to connect this back to our health and relationship with food, but it was really fun to have a conversation based on a beverage, tea, that has been around for so long and selfishly, I really liked learning about the history of it. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Jenny and I hope you enjoy. Hi, Jenny. Welcome to the Yours Truly podcast. What a great opportunity to have you here today. (laughs) Thank you for having me. That's very funny. You know, I... In, in all honesty, I had not planned to say that until it was coming out of my mouth. But one thing about me is I love a pun and the world of tea offers a lot of opportunities for puns. So, you know, you, you might hear more from me by the end of this episode. We'll see. <laughs> um, but before we get into who you are and your story and talking all things tea, I have some this or that questions that we will go ahead and start with. Yeah. Sounds good. Okay. My first question, are you a morning person or a night owl? I'm a little bit of both, but I guess I'll just, if I have to pick one, it'd be morning. Okay. Me too. Uh, I find a lot of people are like somewhere in between, (laughs) somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Uh, I'm not an afternoon person. That's like when I totally zone out. Like I'm a napping person. If I could take naps every day, I would. And then be in the afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and maybe when you can't, when you don't have the time for a nap, then you have lovely tea to sip on to maybe help with, with an energy boost. Some of them, um, podcasts or audiobooks. What do you prefer if you're going to listen to something? Podcasts. Me too. Most of the time, like audiobooks can be fun, especially if it's a topic that you're interested in, but then they tend to be a little bit more dry. Whereas a podcast, if it's a conversation, people are going back and forth more engaging to listen to. And I feel like it's broken up a li- in smaller pieces. Mm-hmm. So in the audiobooks, I have to go back and go, oh, which chapter was I on again? So yeah, sometimes it's a little, it's like you're reading a book, but you're just listening to it audio wise. So um, audiobooks are good, but then sometimes, yeah, they're much longer than yeah, a podcast. A little bit more <laughs> of a time commitment for sure. Unless it's like, a super, super long podcast episode, which we don't really do here on the Yours Truly podcast. So good news for all of our listeners. <laughs> um, when it comes to weather, would you prefer an overcast day or a bright and sunny day? Bright and sunny day. Me too. When we are recording this, it is very overcast in Virginia and I have found it challenging to be alert today. So hoping for sun in the future. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. I have two more. Would you prefer to dress up or dress casual? What do you have more fun doing? 
Oh, casual. So my background is athletic training and PE. So if I could wear like sweats and polo shirts every day, I would. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like your profession, at least leading up until this point, was full casual wear, athleisure, if you will. I'm with you 100%. I sit in like sweatpants and leggings all day long. I prioritize comfort over anything. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. And the final this or that question that I have, I figured this could be a good segue question into our topic at hand today. When it comes to tea, do you prefer iced or hot? Hot tea, but I'm also in Alaska and it's like, I don't know how cold is it today? Three above Fahrenheit right now. So I definitely want hot tea. Yeah, it sounds like your answer might be slightly influenced by living in a very, very cold environment. But in the in the summer there, I don't know, I've never been to Alaska. It's like warm-ish. It gets tolerable. Where I live, it, it gets the hottest in the state where I live. So it can be like 85, 90 degrees in the summertime. Okay. So in the, summer, uh-huh. in the summer, would you still prefer hot or iced? Maybe it depends on the day. I am definitely like a hot drink person, period. Like I don't even like ice cubes in my cold drinks. So I'm all year round, it doesn't matter. I prefer hot drinks or just just not freezing cold drinks. But there is quite a few people here in Alaska who love iced teas. That, that's what they drink year round is iced drinks. And maybe because it is cold. Because um, they say we have the most consumption of ice cream per capita out of all the states is the state of Alaska. And so, and I've had tourists come to our shop who said, "Um, it's so weird, I'm from Southern California and it's so cold here and I feel like eating ice cream, is that weird? I said, no, we get a lot of people like once once it feels cold, they want something cold. I don't know, I, I personally am not like that, but I've heard a lot of people say that. That's an interesting tidbit about the ice cream per capita. I would not have guessed. Like, if you were like, Claire, tell me the state that has the highest ice cream consumption per capita. I I would not have said Alaska. <laughs> I might have been like, I don't know, Texas or Florida or someplace where it's hot for a lot of the year. But you learn, you learn more every day, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I said that last question was a good transition to our topic for the day. So Jenny, we're here today to talk about tea and learn more about it and where it comes from. But before we get to that, I would love to hear from you, mostly because I am curious and I know our listeners will be too, just more about your background and how you got into tea, especially since you told us you used to be in PE and like sports recreation a minute ago. So I'm wondering how that ties in with the journey. So a little bit about your background, however much you'd like to share, I'd love to hear it. Yeah, so I grew up as a coffee drinker, actually. So most people like, oh, you don't drink coffee. I'm like, yeah, I do. I drink black coffee. Like I always drink straight black coffee. I actually like the taste of coffee, just like I drink my tea, just straight tea. And so I've been drinking coffee since I was four. And when I went to college, and I was also born in Hong Kong. So backing up, I was born in Hong Kong, raised in Alaska, started drinking coffee when I was about four. Um, My parents, they didn't really pay too much attention to us um, as kids because they're very busy. They owned a restaurant. And so as a restaurant owner, you like live at the restaurant pretty much. And so um, 
grandparents would come and take turns watching us while um, our parents were working and like they'd fly from Hong Kong. So we didn't actually drink tea because back in the early 80s, it was like really important, at least here in our own community, like for my parents to assimilate, to be just very normal. Don't make waves. Don't be the weird Asian kid. You know, just just do what everyone else does. So my dad was a big coffee drinker. My mom just drank hot water. Like that's the only thing she really ordered. Um, the only time we drank tea was like at a Chinese restaurant. I mean, they always had tea at their Chinese restaurant. And then I didn't even know it was tea. It was just a thing the parents give you at the table. So we didn't really drink water or tea. But um, my grandparents, they would do Tai Chi every morning. They would do the Chinese tea ceremony, which I did not know what that was until maybe 20 years ago, what the Chinese tea ceremony was. Um, it was just weird grandma, grandpa thing that they did at the table. Like, I didn't know what they were drinking. I didn't know what they were doing, nothing. And since we're kids in our really, um, old fashioned conservative Chinese family, you never question the adults. You don't ask them what they're doing. You don't be like, you're supposed to be quiet. To be respectful is to be quiet, silent. You can observe, but there's no questioning. There's no engaging with the adults. You're just, you be the kid and the adults do their own adult thing. So anyways, I started drinking coffee because one day it was like on the bumper of my dad's RV and my sister's like, I don't know what that is. Drink some of it. And so I drank it. And every week he'd go to 7-Eleven and then he'd put his coffee on there. I didn't know it was coffee. But then one year, my grandma, she flies in and brings us C's candy and it's coffee candy. I'm like, this tastes just like the stuff that's in dad's cup. And so like, I would used to like pick the lock and steal the candy because we weren't allowed to have all this candy. And so I would like, I'm like, oh, I, I must like coffee. That's that must be what it is. And then when it fast forward into college, so I'm the first person to graduate high school and go to college in my family and, and to graduate from college. I went into athletic training, which is sports medicine and physical education. So I was a double major at Boise State University because growing up, I was really athletic. And so for me to like assimilate, I was not the smart Asian kid, even though everyone thought I was super smart because I was Asian um, and I was good at math, but I was like not gonna help you with your homework because I English was my second language. So like, I didn't really know anything other than I figured it out as I went and I was not, talented in being like a high IQ. I never made it into the gifted program my sister did. Like she was actually very intellectually smart and she was always like winning awards and stuff. So my strength was playing sports. Like the reason why a lot of kids didn't pick on me, even though they did pick on me, was that if they wanted me on their team to win, they couldn't bully me too much because I was the smallest person. I'm still small. I'm only four nine. And so they always wanted to pick me because I was the fastest. I could hit the hardest for, you know, baseball or softball. Like I was just gifted naturally and um, athletic wise. And um, so when I went to college, I'm like, I guess I'm going to choose something like, I don't really want to be a doctor, but maybe sports medicine would be interesting. And so my advisor was like, oh, so are you going to be a PE major too? And I was like, oh, is that what we're supposed to do? Okay. So like, I just signed up for both when I was, went to my college orientation because my parents didn't even go with me. They told me I couldn't even go to my orientation 
because they had never gone to college. They never graduated from high school, were immigrants. So they didn't know how the whole education thing went other than they didn't have the money and they didn't know anything really. They just had no idea. And I just read the paper where I'm like, hey, it says my orientation's this day. I guess I'm supposed to go. And they're like, well, then you got to figure it out yourself. So I'm 17. I book my own airplane ticket. I stay at my own hotel room. Like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm just making it up as I go because I don't know. And so anyways, that's how I ended up being a PE major too, was I originally went in for athletic training, which is in the sports medicine industry. And then he was like, oh, well, everyone else who does that, they're PE majors too. Remember, I'm from Alaska. So our school systems and how our medical um, industries work differently in Alaska than the rest of the United States down low 48. So I was like, oh, okay, I guess that's what you do. Because I don't know, that's what everyone else told me to do. So anyways, fast forward to my last year of college, and I'm a big coffee drinker. And my drink now is like 528 or 526, including the sales tax every day. Every day when I go to the coffee shop, my drink is that much. I'm like, oh, man, I got to pay my student loans back. Like, I got to slow down on the spending because, you know, I'm spending it all on a drink, which 528 at the time you could get like, I don't know, a supersized extra value meal or something like that. Like at McDonald's, you know, like a whole meal. Yeah. And I lived in Idaho. So like that is about the cost of a whole meal. So I started picking the cheapest thing on the menu because you want to support the business that you're utilizing their seed in to study. So tea was the cheapest thing on the menu. And I was like, okay. I guess I'll buy that. And so I started drinking tea. And for some reason, even though I was in college for five years, um, my friends were like, oh, you drink tea? Is it because you're a trainer? And I'm like, no. When did you ever see me drink tea before? <laughs> like, I just started drinking tea. So these really funny comments kept coming out. Oh, are you drinking tea because you're Chinese? Like, did I ever drink tea? I've never drink before like I don't even know what I'm drinking and they'd ask me questions about tea about the health benefits of tea and all these other things and I'm like wow that's so strange it's like people assume because I'm Asian that I'm a tea drinker or that I'm a trainer that I drink tea and I've never ever the previous four years had tea how did this even come about so I I wanted to know I wanted to know more. So I started doing my own research in the library when I had to do my own homework studies on case studies of rehab or whatever, healing techniques, um, electrodes or whatever it was. And then I actually found research on tea, like case studies on tea. So the educator side of me would read it and study it and then regurgitate to my friends what I found out on that particular case study on tea. Because I don't know, I guess once you're in the teacher mentality you just want to tell people what you learned so that was actually the beginning of my my way into tea was because people said stuff to me that I was like I don't know I don't know I guess I gotta find out so yeah. that's so cool to hear the backstory and how you started learning more about it and researching it because you were drinking this beverage and people just started to ask you questions about it. <laughs> hey, why do you like that? And what are the health benefits of it? And um, yeah, it's interesting now knowing you have this tea business and this company, which we'll talk about that you started out drinking tea really just because you were looking to 
get something more cost effective. Looking for the cheapest thing on the menu. I'm a college student. I need to put this money towards loans and other things. How can I make a 50% cut in cost to my beverage? So you went from coffee to tea. I have to know, do you still drink coffee at all? Or was that first cup of tea just like this entrance into never going back to coffee land for you? <laughs> oh, no, I drink coffee. I I did just this past weekend because it was my brother's special Olympics um, state skiing competition. So I went with him to Anchorage, Alaska, and they had a coffee sponsor. I think they were sponsored by them. I don't know. It was like a local well-known Alaskan brand of coffee. And so I was like, oh, they're here. Okay. I'm going to, and it was just black coffee. I was like, I told my brother, I'm like, do not put any milk or sugar, just black. And, and, you know, he's, he's special needs. He's autistic. So I was just like, or tell me what I just said. Don't put anything. Cause if he makes coffee, he sees everyone else putting stuff in it. So he thinks that's how it's supposed to be. And I'm like, nope just nothing. Just, just get me the cup and a lid. (laughs) And so, and also they didn't have a tea option. Actually, they only had hot cocoa, that powdered apple cider and, and straight black coffee, which I knew that coffee brand was really good. So then I I just chose coffee. I did bring my own tea, but I drank it all already. So, (laughs) (laughs) so you'll still have coffee and enjoy it, but it sounds like over the year since you first started drinking tea, your knowledge of tea and your appreciation for it has, has grown a lot, which we'll, we'll talk about more. So, um, bring us up to speed on like starting your tea company. And then I want to do more background on tea itself, but I'd love to hear more about the you in college who is researching and learning about this on your own time to the you now who does so much education and work in the world of tea. Tell us about that transition. Yeah. So like I told you, my background was in health and wellness and education. So I did both of those careers. And because of my curiosity had to do with um, understanding tea, well, mostly because people would ask me questions and I didn't know the answer. So I, as a teacher, you go and find the answers. You don't know everything, but you go and research and try to find the answers. So that whole pattern kept happening when I worked at the physical therapy clinic. And then when I was a high school teacher and so much so, because I would come back with answers to just be prepared. Um, people said, you should start a tea business. And I was like, what? No. Do you not need me to be a high school teacher? Like, do you not need me to work here at the physical therapy clinic? Like, I'm doing what, you know, obviously you guys hired me. So like, if I start a tea business, I would not be here anymore, right? Like, I have to choose one or the other. And at the same time, like my parents lost their restaurants because a very bad business partner. And it was really sad story. Essentially, my dad lost his dream. And he was very successful while he had it, but very not good business partner did bad things with the money. And my dad had to take the fall of it and then lost his whole business. So growing up, after my parents had lost the restaurant, um, they said to never, ever own a business because my dad was burned so bad from it. So growing up, we knew, like, don't ever, ever be an entrepreneur. Just pick something safe be a doctor, be a teacher, you know, the very Asian way, like just pick something stable because when you are adventurous and you take a risk, you're going to get burned is essentially what they were teaching us. So um, fast forward, I was a high school teacher. They wanted me to teach a tea elective class for a semester. So I had to actually design a whole curriculum on tea education. 
And then I took that tea knowledge and then I started teaching a class at the university for the culinary arts department. And um, not just about tea and how to make tea, but, you know, history of tea, tea wellness, how, you know, all sorts of things. And that was, so essentially I took my high school program that I designed and then I took it to the university. And so a lot of people knew me for tea education, but then they're like, but where do we buy this stuff? Like we want to buy it from you because they trusted me, right? Because I'm giving them lots of information. I was like, oh, I guess I need to start selling tea. But I wasn't, I mean, I didn't want to do it because I was a high school teacher. Well, fast forward to summer break and um, the private high school that I taught at owned a printing company. So it helped fund and support the school expenses. And I decided that summer I was going to fly over to China and visit tea farms. I had the opportunity to do that. And I was like, well, if this tea thing ever takes off, at least I'll know what I'm doing because I'll go and visit tea farms and know how the tea industry works, how you buy tea, how you sell tea. Like, I guess I should just go to the source. Again, with my teacher mind thinking I need to know everything. Like, of course you're supposed to go to a tea farm. Little did I know, almost, I think almost there's a huge percentage of people who own tea shops who've never been to a tea farm before. I was just thinking that was what you're supposed to do because you need to know, right? So, um, so as I was about to go, like get on the plane to fly to China, um, one of the teachers called me and said, oh, by the way, when you come back, you're not going to have a job because there's only five kids coming back the next year at the school, which is like, what? That's like almost no school, right? Like we can't pay another full-time teacher. And I was like, oh, okay. So I sat in my seat and I was like, I guess I'm doing tea. <laughs> so I'm already going to China. I might as well figure out this whole like entrepreneurial thing. And plus I was a certified um, teacher. So I could easily sub like in the school district. They always need substitute teachers. So it it wasn't like... In my mind, I was thinking about the stability that my parents want me to have. And I'm like, I got a backup plan. Or I can always go back into the physical therapy clinics because I didn't work there anymore either. But I know that they're always hiring athletic trainers for the hospital, for physical therapy clinics and things like that. So um, the physical therapy job I had left and then I was a high school teacher. So I knew there was, you know, demand for me in different ways. And so if the whole tea business thing didn't work out, I could always go back to, you know, a previous career. So you but, had, yeah. you had backup options. You're like, I'm not totally going to be left high and dry. I can substitute. I can go back to the clinic, but it seems like at the same time, you also had this window of opportunity to do this thing. You were already on the plane. You already had all of this information and this knowledge and this passion and like for tea. And here's this opportunity that's like, well, might as well give it a go. <laughs> might yeah, as well, exactly. might as well try it. <laughs> it's such a, yeah. it's, it's such a cool story. And, and I'm wondering if this could be a good spot to ask the question, like, where does tea come from? So you're talking about, you took this trip and you were maybe one of the few people you were aware of in the tea business or about to be in the tea business that was actually going to a tea farm to learn more about it. I do agree. It sounds like that was the teacher in you, just hungry for information, wanting the full backstory. But tell us a little bit about what you learned or what you know now as far as where tea comes from. Like we're going to open these packets or we use this loose leaf tea. Where is it coming from? Where do we get it? So 
Yeah, when you talk about tea, like the actual tea, tea plant, internationally, tea is known, not in America, but like the rest of the world, tea is a green leafy plant called this Camellia sinensis plant. Um, it's an evergreen tree, actually, and it's grown all over the world. It's grown in China, India, Japan, um, Taiwan, Africa. Um, it's grown in Hawaii now. It's grown here in Alaska. I just started my own tea farm a couple of years ago. Um, and so it's traditionally grown in um, India, China, and like those are the two largest tea producing countries. It's also grown in Sri Lanka and um, Africa has the the history of the British colonization. So there's a lot of tea plantations in Africa also. Oh, and even in South America, most of the tea that are like in Lipton tea plants are from like South America, just letting you know. But um, it's actually a misnomer that tea has to be grown in hot tropical locations. So you might see pictures of these like huge rolling hills of tea plants and they're foggy and they're on a hill or they're on a mountain. So they're actually kind of grown in cold climate type of locations that don't necessarily, they're not as cold as Alaska is, um, but it might snow and then it might melt, but they really need humidity, like fog in the air. Mm -hmm. um, humidity is really important. It's also grown in places like North Carolina too, and in Mississippi here in the US. Um, but if the soil conditions are right and the um, atmosphere, the air is right, they should do really well. Um, other than like freezing temperatures of Alaska. My situation at our tea farm here is um, it's grown in a high tunnel that's controlled, heated by geothermal heat. So like it's completely sustainable actually. Uh -huh. um, and even the water source and everything is sustainable, but we would have never done it if we didn't already have that infrastructure here in Alaska. So because of that controlled environment and going to all these different tea farms, even in India, I've seen like how tea is grown and where it needs to grow. Um, can't be like the flooding area, can't have super lots of rainfall. Um, it kind of drains some of the mineral and nutrients out of the tea plants. So the tea that you get can literally be from all over the world, um, but mostly either from South America, India, or China is probably like the largest producing places. And all of the tea that you sell, that your company sells, are you growing it there in Alaska or is it a combination of what you grow and what you source from some of these other locations? So our tea plant, our tea farm is still in the experimental phase. Okay. So it takes about like five years to establish all the parameters and how the, the tea plant rejuvenates and how well they're going to do. Um, so it's still in the experimental phase. We've made tea out of it, but we just give it away for special events and occasions. Um, we don't sell it. It's like micro patches. They're not small batches. They're like, like a very, very tiny batch at a time <laughs> that we make um, of whatever we can pick because there's not that many plants because the investment startup is huge, just like any farmer in the United yeah. States. When you invest in land and the plants and the whole infrastructure, like we didn't want to risk something that was just going to wipe us out the, the first year. We just didn't know how it was going to react. So that's why I say, you know, surprisingly, tea plants need to kind of be in a cool location unless it's a warmer um, type of varietal. 
just like roses. There's rose, all hundreds and thousands of different kinds of roses, and they do well in different types of climates. And they might be really small roses or really big roses or super thorny or not super thorny. There's so many varieties. So the tea plants too, it's all from one plant, but there's different varietals that do better in different growing regions. And ours that we have was for a cold climate uh, region, except the high tunnel greenhouse is so warm. And so we had to learn the hard way that we had to drop the temperature down to almost like a refrigeration temperature because the plants actually need to rest. So we've learned the hard way about different things about growing tea in Alaska because of our, our building, our situation. We're like, oh, whoops. Didn't think that it was going to, it could be 80 degrees year round and that the tea plants you know, would want something colder. But um, yeah, so fast forward to now, we have a mixture of um, all sorts of plants that we buy from all over the world, teas that are sourced from all over the world. We love working with specialty um, small farmers. And so that's why like I've traveled a lot to different tea farms. And I learned going overseas, not did I realize that a lot of people don't go and visit them, but it's like the relationships so that you learn about and you understand the trade and the culture in that specific area of the world. There's mm -hmm. different interpersonal cross-cultural communication. You need to understand how to talk to them, how to listen. The biggest thing is listening. That's how I've gotten a lot of my information and learned a lot was if you listen first, you let them tell you how to lead the conversation, how to negotiate or something like that, or or if you're supposed to negotiate. So I'm Chinese, we're so used to like bartering, street bartering or whatever. But if you try to listen to how the tea farmers are like from the actual source, usually they have like a much more humble lifestyle and they're used to selling like all of their tea off to different buyers. So they already know what the price is and they're not here to make a, like a quick cash. You know what I mean? They're not mm -hmm. here to jack up the price because you came to buy a tiny amount versus another company who's going to buy out all of it. Y you know what I mean? They're just used to their regular kind of like supply and demand. Um, they're, they're used to their customers who are like, okay, I need like these many kilos this year. Oh, I need you to increase it by 25%. So they have such high demand that just because one person comes in, it's not necessarily going to help their business, if that makes sense. Yeah, so. totally. I This is so interesting to hear you talk about like so many stages of the business process and tea growing and experimenting with this um, on your own there in Alaska. It's, it's so different from what I do as a dietitian on a daily basis. It's just really refreshing to have someone on the podcast where I get to learn, like I learn from all of my podcast guests, but in a way that is different from what we've been talking about so far. So I appreciate you um, taking us through so many, so many steps of the process. Um, a question I have now relates to some of the health benefits of tea. Um, something that we do talk about a lot here on the podcast and I talk a lot with my clients about is creating a healthier relationship with food and our bodies. And I can incorporate drinks into that as well, right? How can we mm -hmm. have a variety? How can we stay hydrated? How can we find satisfaction in 
everything we consume, whether that's food or a beverage. Part of what I think is like necessary in building a better relationship with food is more knowledge and more understanding about where certain nutrients come from and how food makes us feel. And I think this is something that hopefully you will be able to speak to on the tea front. What are some of the nutritional benefits, some of the health benefits of tea? I would love to learn more about this myself and I would love to learn from an expert. So um, lay it on us. What, What about tea from a health standpoint should we know about? So first of all, tea is the number one most consumed beverage in the entire world next to water. Almost every culture, almost every like ethnic, you know, native, indigenous people group has some sort of version of tea, like steeping something in hot water. And when you think about the practice and the ritual of making it, like you're heating up hot water, maybe because you're in a place that doesn't have clean water, right? So you're going to sanitize it. And a lot of cultures have built their history based off of that to take care of their water, to not get sick, to fight illnesses, is to like kill anything in the water, right? And it's so funny because our family will always heat up and boil and wash everything, even chicken from the grocery store. You go clean the the chicken in the sink. And as far as I knew, we're the only family in the neighborhood who washed our fish and washed our chicken like in the sink before we even cooked it. And now there's a lot of scientific reasons of why you would want to do that, that don't go back to sanitation or health. But because we're used to being like our family for like thousands of years, culturally, Chinese people do that. Um, People in South America do that. And then you have this plant, whatever's plants like native to where you are. So I'm from Hong Kong. So essentially my family was from China. You have these leaves, these tea leaves. And so you would heat them up in the hot water. You'd cook it, right? To kill anything. But now you've created an extraction process. You've extracted now the nutrients into a broth, right? So really tea is like a broth of whatever it is. And so tea itself, the Camellia sinensis plant, has um, a really strong antioxidant or polyphenol that has a gigantic name, essentially gets abbreviated to ECGC. And you might see it in a bunch of like, you know, iced tea bottles at the grocery store. I mean, there was a time when it was like on everything, anything that had tea in it, white tea, it was like ECGC, great source of ECGC. And I'm like, I don't think these people actually understand what ECGC does, <laughs> but um, but it's an antioxidant, so it's good for you. It's going to cure stuff. I'm like, well, that's not exactly how it works, but okay. I mean, and then I'd see that then, then they were loaded full of sugar and I'm like, well, that kind of like defeats <laughs> some of the purposes of that. Um, So ECGC is an antioxidant. Essentially what it does is it's a large chain that creates a shield barrier around cells in your body, any cell, skin cell, cardiovascular cells, you know, smooth, um, smooth muscle cells, whatever it is, like literally anything. Like if you're thinking about like in your teeth, in your gums, in your guts, um, in your, on your skin, on top of your skin, like any sort of cell, it's non-cell specific and it grabs onto the healthy cell and creates a barrier, kind of like an extra, like if you ever play video games and you have like a shield around you so you can run through the game and you don't get hurt as easily, Uh um, then it creates this temporary barrier Um, from free radicals or other things from coming in and destroying it. So the cell lasts longer. 
So when your cells last longer, your cells in your brain, you know, any kind of cell, when it lasts longer, you, that, that damage is lessened. So really it has anti-aging properties because you're thinking about the cells are aging um, at a slower rate. They're breaking down at a slower rate because that breakdown would be causing aging. And then also those cells getting destroyed um, and then replicating itself in a mutated way and then starts to take over space, right? That would be called cancer, right? I mean, every day we're creating mutated cells. So technically every day you could be creating cancer like in your body, you know, cancer is being replicated, but it doesn't take over a whole organ yet. And so you don't have to go to the hospital and get, you know, treatment for it. My mom, she had lung cancer before. So, um, so she wasn't a smoker, but in the restaurant industry, there's a lot of smokers. So she was always around a lot of secondhand smoke. And so that damage over the years is going to start destroying those cells and then creating like a replication that could be mutated and, you know, eventually have cancer. So when you're having ECGC, protecting these cells for a certain amount of time, it's not forever, right? So you're always drinking the tea and this ECGC is non-cell specific. Now you have an, not just anti-aging properties, you're having anti-cancer properties because of what it's doing. Mm -hmm. So it's not going to cure cancer, but it can protect cells. It can, it may protect cells for the time being, depending on where that goes in your body. And remember, tea is mostly 99.9% .9 water. So now you have this medium for moving the nutri nutrients around your whole entire body. You can't be just like in personal training. You can't spot train and be like, I'm going to you know, beef up my arms. Like that exercise and that energy goes everywhere, really. Like it's not uh -huh. going to work in one spot only. So just like tea, you're like, oh man, I got like melanoma right here. I'm sorry. It's it, it's going to take more than just drinking tea or putting like a tea bag on that, you know? So it's kind of interesting because so many people come to me all the time. They're like, oh, I have cancer. And, and I don't mean to like say this lightly. I'm like, but you know, I'm on stage four and I need something to help me. I'm like, I cannot promise you anything, you mm -hmm. know, like my heart feels for you. This is what I know tea does, but it's not going to be an instant. It's not going to be a cure. It may help, but there's so many other things going on right now. It's been so far. I can't promise anything. I've seen some of my customers and maybe this would be bad publicity, some would say, but honestly, like my business is to help people and it's not through just the medium of like the physical properties of tea, if that makes sense. I've seen some of my customers die from cancer. And I told them from the very beginning when they first had the first signs of it, I said, this will not necessarily be your savior. I can tell you all these different properties that these different herbals do, these different teas do, but it's gonna be a combination of a lot of things. And unfortunately, not everyone has the same opportunity to beat cancer. It's just, it's, and that's the truth. And what you can work on is the wonderful calming properties, the um, mindset um, environment that tea can also give you, if that makes sense. So even though you might be hoping or praying to be healed, right, through healthy choices, exercise, um, uh, different, what do you call it? you know, like what treatment options that are out there, mm -hmm. you know, not everyone is given or, or blessed that same opportunity to beat cancer. So 
Other healing properties besides that ECGC are some calming properties. L-theanine is an amino acid in the tea plant that calms and relaxes your body, even though tea actually has a lot of caffeine in it. Tea has more caffeine than coffee does dry form to dry form. Now, and also depends on the tea plant where it was grown. So mm -hmm. it's Camellia sinensis, but then there's different burial variables like sunlight, elevation, time of year the tea leaves were picked. But L-theanine is an, an amino acid that calms and relaxes your body. So just the act of drinking tea, no matter what kind of green tea, black tea, white tea that it is, can help you with reflection, can help you with mindset, can help you with um, yourself, the inner self, which really plays a big part in your overall health. You know, it can also give you a tea time for yourself just to make space if you need to slow down because all the stresses that are going on or in your mind, um, giving you space to compartmentalize and to think through things. It can also bring community together. So sometimes just having tea, especially I see a lot of people who are older, more elderly, and that tea time, that intimacy of community, right, puns, community, <laughs> um, and just sharing a moment with each other. And having that time, not just the calming effects of the L-theanine, um, but also allowing and enabling an environment where people can come together and to grow closer together in interpersonal relationships, too. Mm -hmm. So you have the calming effects of the L-theanine, even though there's a lot of caffeine in it. Um, caffeine will help you like open up your mind, help you be alert, also helps with cardiovascular um, circulation, right? But then you also have the L-theanine that helps cut down the jitters. That's why a lot of hardcore tea drinkers, you don't see them all jittery and scatterbrained. They're very focused and clear-minded because that's the L-theanine there. And there's also different components in there that help um, vasodilate in the cardiovascular system. Mm -hmm. So it's really interesting because when you think about that pumping neck mechanism, like constriction, dilation, you're now getting healthy flow in your body, right? 99.9% .9 of tea is water. You want to drink water. You want to stay hydrated, right? It's not a bad thing to drink a lot of tea. You actually don't end up going to the bathroom as often as you do with coffee. So that's also another thing that I like about tea more than coffee is it's not a diuretic. People think caffeine is a diuretic, but you have to think about the different components that the caffeine is in. You know, like if you're drinking like a monster energy drink or Red Bull or something like that, like I don't drink any of those things. Or if you're drinking coffee and there's a lot of sugar in it, right? Sugar is very polarizing. That's why you go to the bathroom because it's like now becoming a diuretic. You have to think of the combination of things. But um, but but the the overall properties that I like to look at about tea is not what does it do for me as a supplement but how does it enable my own personal growth and give me space and give me um, an environment for me to heal and to process so I know what other steps to take next and to grow 1% every day. And that is really powerful. The holistic part, not just the supplement, the nutrients of the tea, but all the other things that tea as a culture enables a person to have, to achieve. Yeah. Well, that's the word that I was going to use to reflect back to you. So I'm glad you inserted it first. It's this idea of how holistic it can be. Yes, we can talk about the physical properties and the nutrients of 
the plant itself and what we might get physically speaking from enjoying tea, but it's so much more than just the physical properties that can be beneficial. It's the environment it creates, the opportunity to relax and unwind, to be with others, to explore new flavors and learn new things like we've been doing throughout this whole episode. Well, I can speak for myself. I have been learning, (laughs) even the the one sharing, but I appreciate too, going back to what you were talking about a couple of minutes ago, when you were talking about the physical properties and some of the nutrients in tea, you were so thoughtful not to position it as a cure or the one thing that will do X, Y, and Z. That's always something that I'm looking for as a dietitian when I'm looking at any kind of food or supplement or beverage, right? If people are positioning it as this end-all be-all magic solution or this magic fix, we need to be a little bit cautious and curious. So I appreciate that you take this angle of offering the education of the physical properties and beyond, but with the nuance of this is one thing that we can do. It's not going to be the only thing that helps or harms, right? It's one thing that we can add in and learn about, but we have to be really careful about positioning anything as like the cure. Oh yeah. Well, and I've just seen so many people like through my journey of the last 16 years of owning my tea business, family members who've died of leukemia and people approaching them and say, you should take this, this will cure. And they were like their last final like month. And I was like, and you know, they were hoping that that's what I was, I mean, it was really hard for me to say, Hey, you know, I really think you need to start preparing these other things and thinking about other, because I could see that these different people or businesses were trying to take advantage of them. Hmm. And I was like, you only have one, well, we don't know. You might have longer, but I really think the value right now is to spend time with your son and your family. And let's just give you the best possible life. Like, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? Like, let's, let's make it happen. Let's, let's, you want to do this? You want to travel here? Let's, let's, you know, have better experiences and, and say that we ended or whatever, you know, like on a high note, I know people don't want to go there. It seems really dark, but for me, it's a possibility and I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm, I'll try to be gentle about it because I don't want to freak anyone out. But even my customers who come in and they tell me they have cancer, I've seen them from their very early stages. And I told them from the very beginning, you know, these are other things you need to consider, which is your family, your lifestyle, your rest. Yes, let's put these other things into the mix. It might help some of them prolonged, you know, what they how long they thought they're going to live. But in the end, it was like the quality of their life. And, you know, some of them, I think of just one customer a month ago, I was like, wow, she made an impact to our community. And even though she was a huge customer of mine, sometimes I'm like, you know, don't spend all your money with me. There's other people, there's other small businesses. Um, But I mean, she was really thankful, genuinely thankful for the work that I was doing and the mission that I was spreading that didn't have to do with, um, as like a supplement, Mm -hmm. but the whole community aspect, the mindset, the personal growth part of the business, which is where, where I'm most passionate about for Sipping Streams Tea Company. Yeah. Well, I can tell that as well as you're talking. And as we work towards like the, the end of our episode here, I just want to share with you that For me, whenever I'm looking at a business owner or someone who 
I trust to like buy their product or to invest in them, right? It's someone who is offering the facts and offering the education, but isn't taking advantage of clients in a way like you were talking about earlier, where some of these supplement companies or nutrition products might be positioning their product as the cure or this one thing, right? Trying to dupe people in a sense, or paint their product as more of a miracle cure than it actually is. So I think it really comes across in your messaging, how honest you are, how passionate you are about the topic and how well-versed you are in it as well. So Jenny, I would love for you to share for our listeners where they can find more about you and your tea. I definitely am. I already checked out your website once, but I was going to like talk to you today to get your recommendations on like what I should try or what I should order before I did. So for anyone else who is wondering where they can start with you or your tea company, I would love for you to plug all of that here. Yeah. So if you want to learn more about my tea company, our website is sippingstreams.com. And if you want a free digital copy of my book, the Essence of Tea, The Transformational Journey of a Tea Connoisseur. It talks, it's a semi-autobiographical book about my my um, history of how I got into tea, but also talks about the health benefits. So, I mean, I didn't have time to tell you all about the different health benefits of tea, but these are questions that are asked very commonly since I've gotten them over the last 20 years. And, um, and it's, not a, it's not a hard book to read. It was written in a way that my mom, whose second language is English, so that she could pick it up and, and read the whole thing and understand the concepts. And so you can get that off my website too, but it's a hidden link. So sippingstreams.com slash my book, and you can download a free copy of my digital book. Okay. And um, I will, if it's okay with you, can I include that in the show notes so people can just click on it immediately as they're listening today? Is that okay? Oh yes, for sure. Okay, cool. I didn't know. I didn't know how hidden the link was meant to be. Like, is it verbal only? Can I put it in? Oh, <laughs> yeah. No, I don't. I can't do a search on the website for it to pop up. So if you try to search on the search bar, you can't find it. So, okay. Well, I will be sure in the show notes of today's episode to link that and your website as a whole. And on social media, are you interactive there? Are you present? What is your handle so people can find you? Oh, there? yeah. So my handle is at Sipping Streams everywhere. YouTube.com slash at Sipping Streams, Instagram at Sipping Streams, Facebook at Sipping Streams, Twitter. So I'm not on TikTok. That's the only platform that I will not do. So, um, but everywhere else you can find me. Okay, well, we will have all of that linked below. But Jenny, it has been wonderful to get to know you and to learn from you in this episode. I'm gonna be super transparent on this sign-off and say, I forgot to tell you how I sign off podcast episodes. So my listeners will get to hear a little behind the scenes here. <laughs> What's going to happen is I just sign off by saying yours truly. I'll say my name. So Claire, and then I'll point to you and just say your first name. So we're signing off a letter. So that's all we have for you today, listeners. We will sign off by saying yours truly, Claire and Jenny.